Come, let us enter this space of hope and community. Come, let us enter this space with our sorrows, our joys, our passion, and compassion. Come, let us enter this space with the stories of our ancestors, for their strength and wisdom be in our hearts. Come into this space present to the beloved companions who move beside us. Come into this space mindful that together we are building a future for other generations. Come, come into this space and worship.
Bless your heart. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian. I'm Catherine Probasco. I'm so happy to welcome everyone here today. Welcome to folks in our sanctuary. Welcome to folks in our social hall and in the family room. Let's take a moment to appreciate this amazing congregation and how we show up for one another. Take a look around and send a little welcome blessing to the people who are near you. Maybe people who are far away across the across the sanctuary. It is good to be together. This is a church for people of all ages where our beloved community coughs and laughs and wiggles, claps, relies on devices which may make other small noises, and all of that is perfectly fine. We have a Pray ground down front for our smallest congregants with a soft rug and cool toys. And for little ones who need a bit more to do, there's an activity table in the back corner there and a family room across the way with toys and a live feed of the service. Everyone is welcome here to learn and grow in spirit. We bring our holy, sacred, whole selves into this moment, beloved for who we are. Come. Let us worship together. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I'd love to sing for you the Aramaic Lord's Prayer. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, we all know that there's there's a little bit of tension uh, happening in that beautiful land where these words were first spoken. So sending that love and light to that land and those people. <sighs> o birther, father, mother of the cosmos, you create all that moves in light. Focus that light within us as the rays of the beacon show the way. Create your reign of unity now through our fiery hearts and oh-so-willing hands.
Let that just wash over you for a minute. You'll notice the music is in a different order than your printed order of service. You wanted each piece to have its right space. In a moment, I'm going to read um, for our prayer this morning a poem that is based on another very ancient prayer from that part of the world. It, the poem is by Aurora Levins Morales, who is a Puerto Rican Jewish writer. And the title of the poem is the same as the title of that traditional prayer, the Ahavda. The traditional one says, you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. And it continues. That's a prayer that's recited weekly in Shabbat services. In Unitarian Universalism, we think of keeping in front of us that which is worthy of our love, that love of the highest order, and remembering it, impressing it upon our hearts. So first, let's do a little meditation. I invite you to check in with this body that brought you here this morning. How is it doing? Are there any parts of it that have been vexing you? Direct some love that way. 
some acceptance. Take your next few breaths. Broaden your awareness to the room, the temperature, the different kinds of light bathing you, the sound, the scent. I came to the sanctuary midweek to pray and meditate with someone and noticed how the building breathes and moves constantly and how it smells like wood and upholstery and candles lit for many years and people. Such a special place. Let's see if there's any tension you can let out of that body here in the sanctuary in the middle of the city. See if you can let yourself be held. And we'll continue with two minutes of meditation, a time of relative stillness, a time of relative silence. And let any sounds you hear just help keep your awareness right here on the present. And when you notice your mind wandering, just gently bring it back.
let's lift up some prayers in our community. From my pastoral list, I lift up Jim Baton and his family who grieved the loss of wife, mother, and grandmother, Sharon Baton. Sharon's memorial service took place on Friday. We hold them in our love. We lift up the Malecki family, grieving the unexpected death of Connie Malecki. Connie's memorial service will take place on Saturday, November 11th, with the exact time to be announced soon. Who's in your heart this morning? What people and places? Call them to mind now. And if you like, speak them aloud as the chime rings so that we can hold them with you. All of these we lift up to the great powers of healing and celebration and renewal that we call by many names. And our hearts break to witness the continued loss of lives following the horrible terrorist attack on Israel and the war that has ensued. We hold our Jewish and Muslim neighbors and family members in our love. And we remember the people suffering from the war in Ukraine as well. We pray for the peace of healing, wholeness, equity, and safety for all. Here's the poem, Vehapta, our prayer. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy. Inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders. Teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roque Dalton. All together they have more death than we, but all together we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield, unless we lay down our souls to become them, and then we will lose everything. So instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning. Imagine the exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot. The muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin. The sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry, that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back of a car and the children who suck on stones nest under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Defend the world in which we win as if it were your child. It is your child. Defend it as if it were your lover. It is your lover. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope. 
then imagine more. Imagine rape is unimaginable. Imagine war is a scarcely credible rumor that the crimes of our age, the grotesque inhumanities of greed, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of it, the vast fortunes made by stealing lives, the horrible normalcy it came to have, is unimaginable to our heirs, the generations of the free. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep walking. Hold hands, share water, keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. May it be so. Peace be with you. Peace be with all people everywhere. Amen.
Bless your hearts. How to cast a spell. You begin by lighting a candle. A flame is a small gathering together of the powers of the universe, the transformation of potential into actualized energy. You breathe deeply, drawing into yourself the winds from the four directions, from the north, the east, the south, and the west. And you say some very old and special words. Luke, seat, let there be light. And it is made so. <laughs> well, anyway, that's just one way to do it. <laughs> Now we're gonna, oh yeah, okay, thanks. Now we're gonna have to do a reverse Luke seat <laughs> so they come back down, because <laughs> it's gonna be too, there we go, yay, seat Luke's, I don't know. Let there not be light. <laughs> Let there be filtered light for, for security reasons. <laughs> Words are very powerful. <laughs> and actually Rafe told me something between the services that I didn't know, which is that abracadabra is an Aramaic phrase for, would you tell me again, Rafe? That which we speak, we create. That is what abracadabra means? Oh, great. <laughs> Let's use it all the time, okay? <laughs> Some words are so powerful, actually, that we even categorize them as dangerous or bad words, like that mother of all swear words, right? The one that is the reason we call swear words four-letter words, even if they are longer. Yeah? You know which one I mean? Don't say it. We're in church. 
But that word has a lot of effing power, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Anybody here have firsthand experience of the effing power of that word? <laughs> yeah, sure. And you know what? If somebody has used it within your earshot and you got offended, that is also experiencing the word's power. Like, either way, you'll never hear me say it in the pulpit. But when I like bend down to get something off the kitchen floor and I whack my head on the edge of the counter coming back up, comes in handy. <laughs> Seriously, do you, do you know that show Mythbusters, that science show on the Discovery Channel that does experiments to test common myths or ideas? And then, you know, they try to see if they can bust the myth, disprove it. So several years ago, they decided to test the idea that swear words can help you handle pain or withstand pain. Does it really feel better to drop the F-bomb when you whack your head, right? Or what if you just yell fudge like my mom used to do? Does it do the same thing? Does it? <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> Even my mom switched back pretty quick. <laughs> so to test this out, they used something called the cold presser test in which participants plunge their arms into ice water and they hold them there until they can't stand the freezing pain any longer. This is pretty painful. For the first round, the Mythbusters five guinea pigs took ice water arm baths while reading off a list of ordinary, non-offensive words like fudge and shoot, right? Then they repeated the process while swearing up a storm. And the results showed that spewing expletives increased the participant's stamina to withstand pain by an average of 30%. <laughs> Sorry, parents. <laughs> Those words can also be unhelpful, right, or have some negative consequences. One time I read an essay by somebody who had hiked up to the top of a tall mountain only to find the F word just carved into the rock up there, you know. She said she'd seen that four-letter word on telephone poles and in bathrooms and subways and scrawled across buildings, and now here it was on the mountain. It made her feel like the F word must be carved or written or spoken in every corner of the planet, and it felt like very negative energy to find it there. She said it felt like the person who did that was not just randomly swearing, but was cursing. And that's another word for swearing, right? Cursing. Felt like the person was cursing the people that climbed the mountain after them. Another word for cursing someone or for putting a curse on someone is putting a spell on them, right? Making them experience something according to your will. But to what extent can we really cast a spell, right? Like, can we influence somebody else's reality or our own with our words? And, like, how much? George Lakoff is a linguist and a cognitive scientist at UC Berkeley. He tells of a little trick he likes to play on his students on the very first day of class. Once they've arrived and settled down and gotten through their initial greetings, he tells them, do not think of an elephant. Right? And the moment he says that, what happens, right? Every single person pictures an elephant, like, right away. And so that is the class's first lesson on the power of word frames, linguistic frames. Words are always tied to ideas or concepts, and you can't utter a word without simultaneously invoking its concept, if you know what the word means. 
And words or concepts that are woven together form these linguistic frames. These are mental structures that shape the way we see the world, Wakehoff says. They shape the goals we seek, the plans we make, the way we act, and even what counts as a good or bad outcome of our actions. You can see examples of linguistic frames in the way politicians choose their words to describe what they're doing. For example, when we speak of a war on drugs or getting tough on crime, those frames shape the way we approach those issues and how we assess those outcomes, whether they are good or bad results of our actions. Those frames lead to heavy policing and they lead to long or multiple prison sentences and to other punitive consequences. Under the frames of war and getting tough, high incarceration rates look more or less like success and the United States has 25% of the world's prisoners. They're here, many more than would be expected for our population. If we had a different frame, we would assess it differently. So imagine if instead of waging a war on drugs, we had launched a campaign to heal addiction and despair. Or if instead of being tough on crime, we set out to reduce recidivism. Recidivism is when someone goes back to jail multiple times. More than 40% of people who are released from American prisons end up being incarcerated again. But because reincarcerating them looks like getting tough on them, it's accepted. We would measure our success differently if we had a different frame. So changing our linguistic frames can change a lot of things. And Lakoff points out, because language activates frames, new language is required for new frames. Thinking differently requires speaking differently. And a negative frame can be just as powerful as a positive one, like when Lakoff tells his students not to think of an elephant. Right? If words shape thoughts and thoughts shape action and perception, then to a certain extent, words do have the power to change us and our reality. It makes sense. It's something that is actually quite easily observable. Words have the power to change things. And that's what the ancient idea of casting spells is about. And it is ancient, uh, for example, with the word abracadabra. I saw another example years ago when I visited the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, where I had the chance to walk inside of the nearly 5,000-year-old Mastaba Tomb of Perneb, which is a house-like structure that was purchased from the Egyptian government and has been at the Met for over 100 years. Etched into one of the walls inside were hieroglyphs with the words in Coptic that read, reciting funeral spells. So this is old wisdom that's been passed down along humankind's thousands and thousands of years. And that is the kind of power at the heart of real magic. My cheesy little joke with the blinds is a play on what modern witches would call street magic. Street magic is what you see at parties and in Las Vegas. It depends on illusion. It depends on what you don't see, right? And it's meant to be fun. And I'm a fan, but if you ask a modern pagan, a modern day witch, they will tell you that real magic is something else, more like this other thing. While street magic is for surprising and entertaining and delighting, real magic is the art of getting results. 
and not supernatural results, like things mysteriously moving, but real-world results, the kind that were always possible, even if you could not perceive them, the kind that words can help to bring about. One of my favorite stories about this comes from Margot Adler. You might remember her name from being a reporter on NPR. And Margot Adler was also a UU pagan and was an early supporter of CUPS. That's the covenant of UU pagans, a pagan um, affinity group that is throughout our whole denomination. And we've got a group here at First Unitarian too. Adler wrote a book about modern day paganism in the US called Drawing Down the Moon. And during her research for the book, she visited a farm run by pagans where she saw a good example of magic and how seemingly ordinary or subtle a very effective spell can actually be. She says each year, the creek that passes through the farm's property would gradually dry up, becoming completely dry by September, and all of the fish in it would die. This was just the natural cycle of the creek. The day she visited, the water was dwindling and the farmers decided to try to gather up all of the fish that were still there in that low water and add them to the compost that was then going to nourish the farm. They would expedite the inevitable for the fish to the farm's advantage. So Adler and others went down to the river with their buckets and they tried to scoop up the slippery, still swimming things. But the fish had a different plan, right? They did not want to go in the buckets and they kept getting away. And pretty soon the people had worn themselves out and they'd only caught a few. So they went back up to the house to let the far head farmer know, no luck. After listening though, he asked them to come back down to the water with him. In the truck along the way, Adler says, the farmer muttered something about magic. The only time she heard that phrase during her whole visit. Then he started describing the way bears get fish. And as they approached the bank again, he asked the people in the truck to visualize themselves as hungry bears. In that mood, Adler writes, they waded in once more and began slapping their hands together upon the fish and throwing them over their heads up onto the beach like bears. And soon they had their truckload. So his words changed their way of seeing the situation, which changed their behavior, which changed their results. The art of getting results. Starhawk, another modern pagan who I've talked about previous Sundays this month. Starhawk says that a spell is a story that we tell ourselves that shapes our emotional and psychic world. But what kinds of words make the best spells? The specific words we choose are important, I think. Not just any old words will do. The poet Elizabeth Alexander talks about words that shimmer. That's her phrase. Words that somehow have some power within themselves. They get your attention. They really stick in your mind. War and evil are like that. But so are words like restore and reconcile and unite and repair. And there are really silly shimmery words, Alexander says. She gives the examples of bamboozled and hoodwinked, the kind of words that when children hear them, they want to hear them again and again and again. Bamboozled, hoodwinked. <laughs> we'll be hearing those words out of that little one soon, I think, <laughs> and lots of other ones. So some words have some power in them. And on the other hand, another kind of power also comes from within us. It comes from within the speaker. 
in the journal Parabola, William Siegel describes this. He says, we all know that the same idea expressed in the same words by different people can have quite a different impact. It seems that an important influence behind language is invisible, a kind of invisible energy. A word or a sentence when spoken with attention is charged with a special energy. It has to do with the speaker's attention. Where I put my attention, he says, there follows a flow of force. And where there is an inner presence accompanying what is expressed, power is added to whatever is spoken. So energy comes from the words, and it comes from the speaker. I think it was probably a combination of those things that caught the ear of another poet, Marie Howe, when her daughter came home from middle school one day with a new rhyme. And the rhyme her daughter brought home went like this. Don't make me snap my fingers in a Z formation. Exclamation, talk to the hand, flip to the wrist. Ooh, girl, you just got dissed. <laughs> How recognized this immediately? She said, it's a counterspell. That is a counterspell against a mean girl, <laughs> right? <laughs> Something to just flip the negative energy back to its source. Anybody ever been under the mean spell of a mean person? Oh, yeah, yes. Maybe when you were very young and other kids said you were weird and not cool and you believed them. And maybe it's only later, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 60 years later that it finally dawns on you that being weird is cool. And by the way, you're not interested in impressing mean people, right? Maybe there was an adult who called you clumsy and you still feel like you're tripping over yourself all the time. You're not gentle with yourself about it. Or somebody called you ugly and your inner beauty shrank away in protection. Or they called you slow and you let your own potential start to leave you behind. It's not too late to catch up. Or they said you're helpless and you've been giving up ever since because somewhere it's stuck with you. Then you need a counter spell. Or maybe you will just need a regular spell, too. Maybe you're operating under your own frame or one that you willingly accepted or created for yourself, but it's just no longer good for you. It's just not working now. Can anybody use a good spell? Okay. Here's one way to cast a simple little spell for yourself. And you can light a candle if you want to, but you don't have to, because all that you have lies within you. You should probably take a cleansing breath, though, and breathe mindfully because you are focusing your attention when you do this. Visualize what you want to happen, that thing that's waiting to be made real. It's not about the supernatural. It's about what was always possible or what is possible now but may have been hidden from your view. Maybe not perfection, but joy, yes. Not a pile of riches, but abundance, yes. Not a whole new life, but new skill in revealing what your life could already contain, what's already hidden in there. And you put it into words that you can whisper to yourself and tape to your mirror and carry in your pocket. Put it into an affirmation Remember the power of a negative frame. So instead of, I'm not weird, maybe try, 
I am authentic. Or if you've been feeling trapped, you could replace that with, I am finding my way. Or I am a wayfinder. All that I need lies within me is another good one. What would you start to notice in yourself if you carry that around in your pocket? My path leads to my wholeness or my full potential is another one. Good for when obstacles seem to be derailing your plan. Try that out and see what happens. Our Change for the Future partner this quarter is the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. They provide support, education, and advocacy to eliminate domestic violence, sexual assault, dating violence, stalking, and sex trafficking in New Mexico's tribal communities. Abracadabra to that. The gifts you make to our weekly offering and to our annual pledge drive represent far more than just lines on a spreadsheet. Your contributions are a tangible commitment to the mission and the vision of First Unitarian and our partners. Each time you give, you renew this commitment. And as a result, your support is entwined with all that we believe and all that we do here together. This is its own precious gift. In this spirit of trust and generosity, we will gratefully accept the offering. Oh, my. 
Thank you so much for your generosity uh, on behalf of the congregation and our Change for the Future partner. May these gifts be for blessing in and far beyond this congregation. Thank you, ushers. We've got a special announcement from the Radical Generosity Committee. Bill Slakey. Hi, Angela. Actually, we've got something else in mind. Oh? Oh, oh. <laughs> I of Newt. And froggy slime, make your pledges, now's the time. Shazam! Oh. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to cast a spell on the congregation? Yeah. Yeah, since you preached about spells, now's our chance. No more fundraising planning meetings. We can just make everyone turn in a pledge card. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that you can just magically cast a spell and make everyone turn in a pledge card right now. Well, it was worth a try. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen how hard these folks work at the fundraising planning meetings. <laughs> I think there is something we can do, though. I think we can help people visualize what it is we want to make real. Like, that's the kind of spell that could work. Oh, yeah. OK, I'm picturing a fully funded budget. So we can keep paying our staff fairly and generously. And maybe a dedicated maintenance fund so we never have to defer important work. Or fulfilling our whole uh, fair share to the UUA. Mm -hmm. Or funds for a campus master plan. Those don't sound so magical, but they're the foundations and supports of all the amazing work of this beloved community. It's true. Let's make some magic together. <laughs> Your generosity helps build a bridge to the future. <laughs> Good job, team. <laughs> uh, 
I've got a little update for you about that pledge campaign. So we kicked that off on the first Sunday in October. That means it's been two weeks so far. And we've received 96 pledges for a total of $263,356, which is wonderful. That's 25% of our goal. And in case you're curious about the math, that uh, calculates down to an average pledge of about $52 per week. So these are the gifts that folks have told us in a pledge card they expect to be able to give First Unitarian in 2024. When they filled out the card, they didn't have to give any money at the time because it's for next year, but that's how we do all of the things we need to make real that Bill described. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who already filled out one of those forms. We obviously need to hear from lots more people and pledges of all sizes really count. They add up to big numbers when we each pitch in. So thanks also to everybody who's thinking about doing that and is definitely going to remember today <laughs> to do it. <laughs> Catherine's got an invitation. If you, if you heard about our Halloween party on Taco Tuesday, October 31st, we are inviting our neighbors to join us for tacos and trick-or-treating. You can visit the table in the social hall and sign up to bring fixings for tacos and to hand out Halloween candy to the local kids. And this will be a great opportunity for us to open our campus to the community. Um, if you'd like to make a cash donation, we're also going to be giving those donations to the Adult Citizenship Test Fund. Such a fun and good cause. Uh, let's see, why was the number seven important in the design of this sanctuary? Where the heck is the church office? What is with that darker area on the social hall floor? If you've been wondering about these things, you might like to join our director of congregational life, Lara, along with members Jerry and Linda for a 45-minute tour of the campus that answers these questions and other mysteries you may have been curious about. To do that, just be one of the first 15 people to join us right here in the sanctuary at 1215. Here's another important number. Our food pantry serves about 100 people each week, offering a free bag of nutritious food to people facing hunger and food insecurity you are invited to help. If you're able, there are some specific pantry needs detailed in your order of service. And if you yourself are struggling to afford groceries, then the pantry is here for you too. Just come by on Wednesdays at noon. And if you're wanting to make a donation, those donations can be placed in the grocery cart, which is by the sanctuary steps and possibly also in the social hall today and next Sunday. Yeah, that's an important invitation because one of the impacts I wouldn't have imagined from the pandemic was that there's just not as much excess food available to food banks. And so Roadrunner Food Bank, where we usually get most of the food we hand out, just has less, which means we have less. And so those contributions of the items in the order of service are specifically needed and will make a really big difference to folks. All right, one more invitation here. This is a really fun one. It's a landscape work day that's coming up on October 28th from 9 to noon. Get some exercise, make some friends. You'll be raking leaves, uh, pulling weeds, spreading some mulch, and when all is done, enjoying lunch together with your fellow volunteers. 
Um, the church has some tools, but we hope you'll bring work gloves. And if anybody has a wheelbarrow to bring to contribute that day, that would be extra helpful as well. Donna Collins is the point person here. Are you Donna? There she is right in the center of the sanctuary. She's got more information for you. Uh, and I'll just say that this is important because clearing up the campus helps to reduce the risk of fire. And in fact, not long ago on a Sunday, I got home from church and then got a phone call from our young adult group that the campus was on fire. And what should we do? <laughs> so uh, it looked like somebody might have like tossed a cigarette or something, somebody not of the church, um, and it started a fire that the young adults put out. <laughs> I know, right? Amazing. <laughs> so we were very lucky that they were here and they caught that you can help improve our luck by clearing out things that are flammable on the landscape workday, October 28th. All right. We hope you'll stick around for coffee hour after the service. Talk with Donna, talk with others, talk with each other. There's a chat table you might enjoy. And here is a discussion prompt to get those conversations going. What powerful spell can you cast for your life? Like what would be the most powerful spell you can cast now that you know more about how to do that? I invite everyone to rise in body or spirit. We'll greet each other with a gesture of peace from our hearts to each other. Peace. It is good to be together. Blessings. Sing it once more. Te amo, madre, amo tu medicina. Te amo, madre, amo tu medicina. Sing it. Te amo, madre, amo tu medicina. Te amo, madre. I just want to say, it's my first time in New Mexico. My lady and I drove down from Orcas Island, Washington, to be here today. And I'm so grateful for this community to welcome me here. And please stay in touch. Come and give us your email so we can stay in touch about upcoming events, okay? Keep singing. Keep casting your love and spell into the world. Let's Olympia one more time. Olympia! Limpia, 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 limpia mi cuore. 
So may it be, and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again. Thank you.